This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Let's go to Ronnie and Tom's River. What's up, Ronnie? Hey, guys. How are you? Good, man. What's happening? Nothing much. Um, I, I agree that Daniel Jones has a lot to do this year. You're absolutely right about that. But I think the huge lin- linchpin on the offense is uh, Evan Neal. I think that absolutely. guy, uh, you know, obviously has struggles as a rookie very hard. But he has to significantly improve. Just to be an average right tackle would would do you know help the offense so much. And we're going to find out game one uh, with the Cowboys defensive line. Man, they're going to go after him like they did last year, and we're going to see what he has to do. Um, just one other thing, and I'll hang up. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been talking to a lot of my friends about uh, potentially trading for a linebacker to help the Giants uh, bolster that Giants defense. I, I don't. I want to know: Would you trade for uh, a Queen? from Baltimore, the Baltimore Ravens. I'll hang up and listen. Thank you. All right, Ronnie, thanks for the phone call. I keep it in mind. I think he's he's a very talented linebacker, but, I mean, the Giants have invested in the draft for some young linebackers, and they kind of want to see, you know, what he, what they bring to the table. Um, I'm sure Wink Martindale is familiar, so he'll give you a – he'll be able to tell them what they really want to know about that kid. And, um, you know, they – if, if he is a person that can add to them, then I think they will consider it. The other question is, is Baltimore going to let him go? You know, so it's two ways to look at that. But, uh, you know, you're right about Evan Neal, 1,000%. He's got to be better. Got to be better. As good as Thomas was on the other side, Neal has to be on that side. And if he is, that's certainly going to help Daniel. It's going to help the offense. It's going to help the offense. So you're 1,000% right. Uh, he's got to be better. And he's one of the people. But the quarterback has the ball in his hands so much more. That's why, as you agree with me, it's a big year for Daniel Jones. Can he get the ball down the field without turning it over, as he's done previously? Now, to his credit, you know, his his turnovers have been cut back. Even before Dayball got here, his turnovers dropped some. And they, listen, they managed him extremely well under the Giants offense last year. Runs, short games, short games, stuff like that. That's what they did. Worked great for them. Worked great. They were able to, because here's what they were able to do. They, their defense was able to hold them close. All they had to do was make a couple of plays, get some drives late. Boom, they win games. And that, And this year now, they have an option. They can... Get the ball down the field. The question, once again, is going to be, can he do it consistently? And then that leads to points. Because that was the big concern with them last year was they got the ball down the field and then sometimes in the 20s they were a little inconsistent. So if they can get that done, that'll be great for them. That'll be excellent. Let's turn our attention to the NBA. Before I talk about the Knicks and the Nets, and I know as host, I'm supposed to have answers. I get that. It's part of my job description. I'm supposed to be able to talk to you about what's going on and give you my analysis on it. But can I be honest with you, ladies and gentlemen? Come on, move closer. It's just us speaking. Can you tell me What the heck is going on with the NBA Cup? Can can you, does anybody have a reason 
why the NBA has decided, hey, let's do an NBA Cup. in November and then I, I just just it, it just can't be and then as I read it, it the championship game is in December but but you end up playing the same team at the end of the season help me out help me out help me out what, what? now look if you were telling me you were doing this instead of the all-star game <laughs> With the way the All Star Game has been the past couple of years, I might be I might be okay with that. I'm serious. I might be okay with the, with the way the NBA All Star Game has been. Lack of lack of defense, lack of effort. If you're gonna tell me you were doing the NBA Cup at, at that midway part of the season, okay, I'm good. I'm good. But in November, uh, what? Why? Why are we doing this? What's the reason? All right, okay, you 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 guys changed the you added the 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 play in and all this other stuff. Okay. That was okay. That was okay. Did it add did it add uh interest in cities where teams that were not part of the eight could possibly get into the championship? Absolutely. Look at Miami last year. Got to the finals from a play in. Got to the finals. So yeah, that we 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 looked at you sideways. We rolled our eyes, like what what are we doing here? Well, everybody's gonna make the everybody's gonna make the playoffs. Oh, that's not gonna work, brother. Okay, that worked. But what are we doing with the get this? An in-season tournament, not preseason tournament, in-season tournament. Well, Mark Tatum was on ESPN earlier and Describe what the value is of the in-season tournament. I would tell you that the go- that the goal is to create a new championship tradition, uh, much like we see in international soccer, international basketball, and this new tradition and this new opportunity to win a championship in the middle of the season um, has become, we've seen internationally, meaningful to teams, the players, and the fans. And now with 25% of our players born outside the United States, one of the things that we have realized is that those international players are accustomed to playing in these cup-like tournaments and these in-season tournaments. Um, And the fans have really taken to it. And so we're, in essence, taking regular season games and giving them even more significance by having them count towards this in-season tournament. Tuesdays and Fridays in November, except for November 7th, when the NBA will play no games because of Election Day. Okay. Final Four will be in Vegas. Well, of course. (laughs) Everybody's going to Vegas now. Remember, not that long ago, Oh, we can't have any professional teams in Vegas. Oh, my God, the betting, the improprieties. Oh, we just can't do it. Oh, no, it'll ruin sports. We can't have professional sports, okay, for college sports, because that's already ruined. But no, professional sports, no, we can't do it. No, it's going to be, no, we can't. Ah. Final four will be in Vegas. Adam Silver says, quote, the city knows how to host big events. (laughs) Okay. Uh, All right, so. They'll play one game against each other. The six group winners will make the quarterfinals, as will the best two second-place teams from the groups. All right, they were chosen. Here's the groups. Ready? West Group A, Memphis, Phoenix, the Lakers, Utah, and Portland. West Group B, Denver, the Clippers, New Orleans, Dallas, and Houston. West Group C, 
Sacramento, Golden State, Minnesota, Oklahoma City, and San Antonio. East Group A, Philadelphia, Cleveland, Atlanta, Indiana, and Detroit. East Group B, Milwaukee, New York, Miami, Washington, and Charlotte. East Group C, Boston, Brooklyn, Toronto, Chicago, and Orlando. All right, so um, I, 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 I don't get it. I don't get it. Tournament payouts for players on standard contracts would be $500,000 apiece. For those on the winning team, $200,000 apiece. For those on the runner-up, $100,000 apiece. For those on teams that lose semifinal games, and $50,000 for those on the teams that lose in the quarterfinals. Two-way players on any of those teams are eligible for up to half those amounts, depending on how many games they spend on the roster during the tournament. Okay. Uh, Maybe as I see it, Maybe I'll warm up to it, but my thought process is, okay. So what? Big deal. What? what why? <laughs> I'm still wanting to know why. <laughs> when we return, Brian Windhorst was on the Michael K show last week, and he talks about the Nick offseason. We'll hear what he has to say in my reaction next on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. I was a little surprised by the OB Toppin trade. Obviously, it got out there that he and Tom Thibodeau had that exchange, whatever it was, in the postseason. I don't know if it was non-recoverable because when that guy was in your rotation. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't care if you give me two second-round picks or four second-round picks. The chances of getting a rotation player with a second-round pick is not great. They traded a rotation player for picks. I do think the DiVincenzo signing is very good value. Getting that type of player for that type of contract is good value. And I also know that they've been wanting to hold on to Evan Fournier because they're waiting to make a big trade. And I don't know if that big trade is going to happen. I don't think they do either. I'm not saying that they have it, that they know exactly what it's going to be, but I think that they want to leave their options open. Brian Windhorst on the Michael K. Show last week, analyzing the Nick offseason. Hardesty until 3 on 98.7 ESPN. Brian says the Knicks really are sticking to the game plan. They were rewarded last year for patience. They did not go all in on Donovan Mitchell and ended up in a good place as a team. They did not go all in at the trade deadline. They made a prudent, smart, high-value addition in Josh Hart. They had very good results showing patience. So I think, you know, that's one of the things that they have lacked over the years is they haven't had patience. And I think they're waiting for a big fish to swim along. And I wish I could tell you that I knew it was going to happen in the next four months or 12 months or whatever. But they're sitting there holding a a remarkable hand and they're waiting to deploy it. And I know that that hand that, you know, future draft picks and cap flexibility isn't necessarily going to beat the bucks. But I kind of appreciate them having a plan and at least sticking to it. That's something they haven't always done. You know, he's right. And this is something that we have criticized this Nick franchise for over a number of years. It's not being in position to be able to make a move when a player becomes available because they have no draft picks, they're way over the cap, so on and so forth. There's been a number of issues, okay, that has caused this Nick team to flounder the way it has over recent, what, the past two decades. Okay, it is. And so while we criticize that, we, we want to criticize them because they're not getting closer, they're also not 
making a ton of mistakes either. So you give them credit for that. Uh, I do agree with Windhorst in that sense. But here's the issue I have with him. And you, I knew that Obi Toppin was done because he's not going to play anymore. And while I agree with Brian again that a pair of second-round picks does not mean that you're going to get a rotation player, was Obi Toppin really a consistent rotation player? I mean, he got he came in. How many minutes did he get? Okay, and I'm not saying all that's on Thibodeau or or all that's on Obi. All right, Thibodeau wanted more from him defensively, and Obi wanted more minutes so he could run up and down the court and be his athletic self. And he thought he had done what he needed to do to earn that playing time. So I get I get both sides. The thing for me here is considering that Toppin is now going to Indiana to play with Halliburton, it's it's a bad draft pick now for the Knicks. It's a bad draft pick. Because Halliburton is who you should have took. I don't know the thought process at the time. We're not going to come back with Julius Randle, blah, blah, blah. Whatever the thought process was at that moment. Everybody and his cousin thought that the Knicks were going to take Tyrese Halliburton and make him the point guard that they had so desperately needed for years and years and years. And they didn't. They took Obi Toppin ahead of Halliburton. Of Halliburton. And so now Halliburton has improved to the fact that he to the fact that he's got a nice healthy extension because of his ability to play and the guy who was in the same draft as he who you took is now playing alongside him in another city it's a bad draft it's a bad draft so now you turn your attention to what are they going to do and come on rumors are endless really when you think about it they're probably going to end up with the same team that they had last season, pretty much, which translates into, like what, a a, a fifth-round spot, fifth-round record, right? Of, of, you know, the number five spot in the postseason where, you know, you have a shot to – win the opening round and then move into the second round and hopefully win that round and and go a little farther. But I got to say this. I love what Mike Vaccaro wrote in the post. And you know, I'm a Ananobi big fan. And he put out a column that the Knicks should move RJ for Ananobi. I would do it tomorrow. Matter of fact, I'd do it today. Because once again, it's the three and D guy that you want. And he is a three and D guy. Now, is Toronto moving him? I don't know. But I would love to have him on this Nick team. I would love to have him. Okay. I think the acquisition of another Villanova product, uh, Vicenzo, is is we know what he can do. He's a three point maker. You know, you need now you need a three point maker like that. You do. 
So I like that acquisition. So that's good. Hart, I think, you know, you saw what Hart can be. You saw what Hart did for the team last year. He's excellent. But the Knicks now have to find out if this is where they're going. If will they run it back? Now, are they going to start the season with Fournier sitting on the bench with all that money? Yeah, I guess so. But I would think that they're going to try to make a move to to get him off the roster and to get somebody better. Because he's not going to play. I mean, he didn't play last year for, for most of the second half of the season. And don't you think that Tom Thibodeau is going to go back to that nine-man rotation that was so successful for him late in the season? Don't you think he will? I do. I think that's what he's going to do. So the question is going to become, and what are they doing with Emmanuel quickly? They're going to be signing him for big money, the extension? And Josh Hart signed for one year. Next year, that means he's you have to pay him a lot of money. So, this is this is an interesting year for the Knicks. And as I've said before, the other part of this is you've got a head coach in his fourth year of a five year contract. Uh, you don't want him to go into that fifth year as a lame duck coach. So this is a huge year. This is a huge year for this Nick team. From coaching standpoint to what are they going to do personnel-wise? Are they closer to Milwaukee? No. Are they closer to Boston? No. Are they closer to Philly? Eh, I got to see what else Philly does. Are they coming out of the East? I don't I don't see it. Unless they make some more moves, I don't see it. So I know most of you when we've asked you, you want patience. You you're like, we're run it back. Run it back. We we don't want to just throw anything out there. And from that standpoint, I agree. You don't want to just throw anything out there. You want to make a prudent decision. You want to be in the position where this team is looks like it's a championship team. Right now, it looks like a very good playoff team. Of course, anything can happen when you get into the postseason. I get it. I know. Look at Miami, so on and so forth. I understand. But Miami's going to get better. Be it Damian Lillard, be it something. They're going to make another addition to get better. All right? Boston has already improved. Milwaukee's going to do something else. Philly's going to do something else. Cleveland is a year better, and they will learn from what they how badly they got beat up in the postseason last year. And I don't think they will get beat up like that again this coming season. You learn from experience in the postseason. <clears throat> Young teams learn. Coaching staffs learn. Front offices learn that you need something else. So uh, Atlanta has made moves. So the, you're not guaranteed a number five spot. 
just bringing the same folks back. You're not guaranteed. So I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I do know that they need to attempt to make a better move. And if it's not the right move, then okay, we'll deal with that. We'll deal with that. But, you know, as Brian Winthor said, they have a, a exper- an, an expiring contract in Evan Fournier that they can use to try to get better. And I hope they do. Your calls are next on 9870 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Sal is in Brooklyn. Sal, you're next on 98.7. Larry, good good afternoon, Larry. How you doing, my brother? I'm doing great, Sal. How are you? Long time. Excellent. Yeah, nah, nah, we listen. We've been around uh, <laughs> with the Knicks, man. Yeah. You know it like I know it, man. They, they, they've given us a good year, but status quo don't work. I mean, to think you could come back with the same thing and go further than just getting our appetite wet with a playoff run, that's not the move. Uh, you got Quigley, you got Grimes, you got Fournier's contract, you got draft picks, and you got R.J. Barrett, who's, if he's a stock, now's the time to sell when he showed you a little something because we know where that stock is going to, you know, it, it goes up, it comes down. So sell high, and hopefully you can get enough out of that to find that one other piece right now to go with uh, – with uh, Randall to go with uh, with our backcourt. Uh, I'm losing names now because Brunson, you yeah. get me nervous, Larry. Ah, uh, come on, Sal. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 it, it, it's the thing to do with this Nick team. Don't come back the same way. You got this kid, Charlie Ward, is breaking in. They're following him in the summer league, 19 years old, 6'6", with a nice wingspan who could play some D. You never mm. know where this kid can go. So by getting rid of, by, by getting rid of the, the, the Quigleys or the Grimes, it's not going to kill you. These ain't game breakers that you say we can't afford to lose them. I know they're extra pieces, but you can afford to lose some of that lower stuff, some of those lower tier players, to open something up to try to get, try to get that really, really dominant player that this team needs to take it over to the next level. Just watching them, but you know they gave us some fun. We enjoyed yep. them, but they're not ready yet. You know that, and I no. know that. No, you're right, Sal. Always good hearing from you, my friend. Um, they need some work. There's no question about it. Everybody knows. They need work. They're, 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 they're not where they need to be. Are they at least entertaining? Yes. Are they at least uh, a team that you're not embarrassed of? Yes. Are they a team that, as I said right now, is a playoff team in the middle of the pack? Yes. They're not a playing team. They're better than a playing team. They're a team that at least is a middle-of-the-pack seed. You know, and and that's great. But it's not enough. And, and we all agree it's not enough. I think the whole thought process is how do we get to where they need to go? What are the moves that, that they have to get to so that they are in the, in the conversation conversation of okay maybe they can win maybe they can come out of the east maybe they can get to be a conference final 
team. Maybe they can get to the conference finals. Okay, where, where, where do they, what do they have to do? And do you have confidence that this group can do that? Do you have confidence that they can make the right move and say, you know what? This is, this is what we're doing. Okay. This is what we're doing right here. And it'll, and it'll get done what we need to get done. Craig is in Lansing. Hey, Craig, you're next on 98.7. Hey, what's happening? Yeah. I heard you talking earlier about Zach Wilson and, um, I just, you know, I, I, I always think, well, with as much as they've got invested in that team, they're going to have to have a good backup quarterback. And don't run me out of the building for bringing up Carson Wentz because I'm going to tell you why I'm bringing him up. This dude, his, in his career, he's only thrown double-digit interceptions twice, his rookie year in Philly and his last year in Philly. And then when he left Indy, and I saw him play last year, didn't look good. But the year before that, I, I didn't see why they ran him out of Indianapolis other than, you know, I think he lost to the Jag, you know, Jaguars or whatever. They didn't make the playoffs. But if you look at his numbers, he threw 27 touchdowns and only seven interceptions. I mean, that's almost four-to-one ratio, 3,500 yards. And that's in a year where Taylor ran for, you know, you remember what he did. Mm-hmm. So I just wondered, you know, is this guy – You know, I'm sure you saw him play last year. Um, I didn't. Is he really just – is he really just fell off a cliff? He can't play football anymore? Or would that be a guy, hey, we'd like to have him on the team in case we need him for a game or two? Um, I, get, I get not the whole season, but this, like I said, I mean, if you look at his numbers two, two years ago, pretty damn good. Um, mm-hmm. Last year, not good. So I just thought, hey, is this a guy they could bring in for, I don't know, $10 million and pay him and feel comfortable that at least we got an experienced guy if we should happen to need him? Craig, thanks for the phone call. I, I, I'm just not a Carson Wentz person right now. So I have to be honest with you. I don't, I, I don't know that if I'm the Jets, I would take that gamble. Um, if really shows you how bad I think Carson Wentz is, right? I just don't. His availability is a question for me. Um, I just don't. He, he looked like you're right. I'm not going to say that he doesn't know how to play football anymore, but he just looks, he just looked lost. He, he looked lost last year. I, I don't, I, I don't think I'll speak for the jet fan. I don't think if I'm a jet fan, I'm looking at Carson Wentz. I'll look for somebody else and I get it is only one or two games, but the one or two games that I need could be, like huge. I don't know that I trust him even for one or two. I don't know that I trust him for two or three games. I don't. Is it fair that I put him in the same category as Zach Wilson? Well, I think I put, I think it's worse because he's got more experience. You know? So I, I'm, it, it bothers me. They, they need to upgrade. They got to find somebody else. Now, maybe there'll be somebody, you know, at training camp, they'll, they'll get, bring in somebody, or, you know, they'll wait and see what Wilson looks like during preseason, and maybe one of the cuts, they'll bring, you know, one of the cuts with the backup quarterback, they'll bring somebody else in. That might be the move that they do. You know, they already have a guy who's backed up, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers previously in Green Bay, so they have that person. I don't think they have a lot of confidence in him either, and listen, Honestly, 
on the other side of it, doesn't really matter who you bring in. If he's out for a long period of time, season's over. It's over. You put everything into this, everything into the into Aaron Rodgers winning and, and being healthy and getting in the postseason. Everything. Now, in a perfect world, you would say, hey, wow, look, Zach Wilson got better. And maybe that could happen. I don't expect it to. I don't think so. But, I mean, there are, as Bula rolls his eyes up in his head, there are examples of players who didn't get it right away, who it took them a couple of years to get to, to understand what it takes to win because of the fact that they, you know, didn't, didn't come from that big-time program that challenged you. Yeah, he did what he had to do against the people he faced, but... I mean, you know, it's not it's 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 a different type of schedule. Okay? I mean, it's no disrespect, but there was no Alabamas on that schedule. So that, you know, and and listen, that's not his fault, that's the Jets' fault. You have to look and see, okay, is he a guy that's going to be able to handle this because of the of the caliber of competition he faced in in college? Is it an easier transition? And who knows, maybe maybe if they brought in a backup instead of just throwing him into the fire the first year, maybe he wouldn't have been this bad. Maybe he would be a little better. I don't know. I don't know. I do know right now they're in the position of they had to go out and get Aaron Rodgers because they knew that having been not allowed to dress twice last year, that they couldn't start the season with him as a starting quarterback. And they were right because he didn't deserve it. He didn't look like he put in the hard work. And the other question in the back of your mind is, he was hurt again last year. He's been hurt both years. So that's another thing in the back of your mind. Does he have the ability to stay healthy? More of your calls are next on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Max is in the Bronx. Max, you're next on 98.7. Sir, that's why you went on my legends. Because you speak the real. You say clean, RJ Barrett, somebody with a brain. Because... You know it has to be done, Larry. Well, I hear what you're saying, Max. Listen, thanks, thanks for the kind words, but here's the bottom line. It's not that I dislike R.J. Barrett. I think he's shown something. I think he had a rough last regular season, but he was better in the postseason. And as one of the previous callers said, Sal, in Brooklyn, that's your last memory of him being better. So... That's why you want, if you're going to move him, you move him when his salary is high. And so, but I'm not just giving him away, okay? For a guy like Ananobi, what he could bring to my front court is major. It's major. Yeah, I know I still got to deal with Julius Randle. Yeah, I know I got, I got Brunson, who, who was unbelievable last year. 
who might go down as one of the, not might, will go down as one of the top free agent signings in Nick history because of how well, how, how he put his imprint on that team immediately and what he was able to bring to the table that he made Julius Randle better during the regular season. And Randall's got to figure out what to do in the postseason. And I don't know if he can. This might be his ceiling. Postseason might be it. This might be it. I don't know. It might be. But I got but from a Nick standpoint, front office wise, my job is to get this team better. And whatever it takes to get them better with smart, prudent decisions that doesn't leave my franchise in an un in an unbearable tenuous situation going forward after that. That that that's that's the job. And you get paid a lot of money for that job to make those decisions. So am I happy that the Knicks are not just making the first deal that comes along, whether it's bad or whatever? Yeah. Because that's what they've always done. I'm not going to depress you on the Sunday afternoon going down some of the bad moves in Nick history. I'm not going to do that. We'd be here all day. So am I happy that they're taking their time in making the decision? Yeah. I'm happy with that. I'm okay with that. And if part of that decision means that we're moving on from R.J. Barrett, then okay, let's move on from R.J., but let's make sure we're getting something worth worth that's going to improve and not make us it can't be a lateral move it's got to be an improvement let's hear from Obi Toppin Obi Toppin on his time with the Knicks had a great time with the Knicks obviously it's been a dream to to uh, have the opportunity to play in MSG and obviously put that Knicks jersey on but uh it was great players there great coaches uh everybody was amazing there but definitely super excited to have this new journey and uh start out here in indiana so um yeah super excited for that obi toppin is going to go down as a nick fan favorite because of his athleticism okay because he dunked he was on the break he he was you know, fabulous. Won a dunk contest. But the bottom line here is, and it's not his fault, it's a missed opportunity in the draft for the Knicks. Again, you drafted him ahead of Halliburton, who was a point guard that you needed, and now you're trading him for you're trading Obi to pair up with Taliburton. So bad draft. It's a bad draft. You should have went with Halliburton. You knew you needed the point guard. You knew you needed him. It's it's been a nickname. <laughs> so hopefully they'll get it together and they'll be interested to see what they do. Okay? Um, let me just say this. I'll talk a little baseball with you before I leave. Yankees and Cubs are tied at one. Yankees batting in the bottom of the fifth. 
I'll say this real quick about the Yankees. The All-Star break is coming at, 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 a, at a good time for them. Okay? Uh, yesterday was a really good offensive day for them. I thought it might be a starting point where Stanton really starts to get going. Two home runs yesterday. Today's a little struggle. And they, they just can't seem to really put a streak together where they score a bunch of runs. And I get that Aaron Judge is out, and I get that nobody knows when he's coming back. But as we get close to the deadline, this team has has done enough without him to show you that you need to make some moves to help them out. You need to make some moves. I mean, Rizzo looks like he's starting to get going. I mean, Donaldson will, was gimpy earlier in the game. Um, was hit, He's been hitting home runs. I mean, what, at one point he had 14 hits and 10 of them were home runs. I know you guys don't like him. I get it. I understand it. But these are the veterans you have to rely on to get going. Glaber, DJ, these are the guys. But they need some help. So Cashman's got to do stuff. Pitching looks like it's coming back. Okay? Rodon didn't pitch badly in his first outing. You got Cortez will probably be back after the All-Star break. Uh, Domingo Herman's been great. Your ace has been stupendous. I mean, he again yesterday, 8-0 after a Yankee loss. I mean, come on. You, you, you can't do any better. He has done everything you wanted to from an ace this season. You need some help offensively. So I think the Yankees will get that. As far as the Mets are concerned, the Mets have won six of seven going into this afternoon's game, starting a little over an hour. And they have a chance to go into the All-Star break, winning another series and winning seven of eight. It is amazing to think that this was a Met team that won six consecutive games and we're still four games under 500. That's how badly this team had performed. Now, do I think that the Mets were as bad as they were when they were in the month of June? No. Do I think they're as good as they are during this win streak? No. They're somewhere in the middle. And so the question becomes, coming out of the, the All-Star break, if they can put a streak together that gets them near 500, then you 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 have to make a move to try to get better. And this is this is almost like the worst thing because you're not really sure what this team is. I mean, Vogelback has started to hit. Lindor's had what eight hits in two games. I mean, they've they've been great. The offense has been tremendous up until last night, and once again, you know, he ran into a hot pitcher. That happens. So what what do you do? What what Met team is this? What do you make the deals or do you not make the deals? Well, Buck Showalter weighs in on what he hopes that this past week of winning six of seven going into today's game helps for the second half out of the All Star break. Winning, yeah, I hate those. Simple. You know, it, it, there's so many parts to winning a baseball game that overcoming some things you're not doing well is part of it too. You know, if you maybe make an error or or. or maybe don't get a good start you've got to do some other things well and, and that's something that 
we're capable of doing. You know, the, you know I, I can tell you a lot of games last year and this year that we've won that, you know, we still had some things that we weren't perfect in. Very seldom do you play that game. But, uh, you know, just having other phases of the game pick up something that may not be, you know, you're trying to be perfect every night when you know it's not going to be. Yeah, I, and I hear what he's saying. And listen, I'm not gonna over. I'm not gonna rehash it. They're playing better. It's the things that it was not that not only that they were losing, but how they were losing that was so troublesome. So right now it looks like they picked it up, as uh, Rick DiPietro said on DiPietro and Rothenberg Monday through Fridays from six to ten a.m. Now you get hot, you go into the All Star break. <laughs> you want to keep playing when you're hot like this. You want to keep going. So we'll see what happens on the other side. Uh, Tom Bauer, give me this Met lineup today. Oh, sure. So leading off in playing center field is going to be Brandon Nemo. In left field batting second is Tommy Pham. The shortstop Francisco Lindor bats third. Pete Alonso batting fourth playing first. In right field, Jeff McNeil. Oh, How about God. that? Oh, God. Even better is the DH, DJ Stewart batting sixth. Hmm. Uh, the catcher batting seventh is Francisco Alvarez. Brett Beatty at third batting eighth. And rounding out the orders, Luis Guillorme at second batting ninth. And Max Scherzer is on the bump. Thank you, Tom. So, for me, Marte has just been struggling. He has really been struggling. I understand why you sat him down. I really do. He's been, he's come up in big spot opportunity and big spot opportunity offensively and just hasn't gotten the job done. It's total opposite of the way he was last year. Because I felt that the Mets would, if he hadn't been hurt, I felt the Mets would have done better in Atlanta and would have done better against San Diego. That's how good he was last year. Has not had the magic this year. So we'll see. Maybe he'll get hot in the second half and can take turns in, in carrying this team a little bit because that's what they need. They need somebody that, you know, you need that consistent play. That's a, Right field is a power-hitting position, and he's, you're not getting the power-hitting stats from him. I always get concerned with Jeff McNeil in the outfield, a little better left than right. Uh, you know, it's just it's, they got to get a DH. They, you know, and listen, Vogelback has, has been great. He's been great, but they got to do upgrade at the lefty side of the DH, the righty side of the DH. Got to get an upgrade there. They really do. So we'll see what happens. That wraps up this edition of the Larry Hardesty Show for this Sunday afternoon, July 9th. We thank you for joining us, making us a part of your Sunday. Special thanks to my good friend Jay Bromley, who joined us in the one o'clock hour to talk a little NFL. Uh, Tom, Julian, thank you very much. We'll see you tomorrow night. We're doing a one-hour show in for Dan Grasso to lead you up into the Home Run Derby. Up next, the conversation continues right here on 98.7 ESPN New York.